Welcome to Silmarillion Sunday, part 16. I am Don Marshall 72, the obscure Lord of the Rings facts guy here. You will also notice we have some friends over to my wrong side, over to my right. Uh, I have found a way to put chat in the stream so you can all see what they're all talking about uh, and all of the inside jokes and all of the weird memes and emotes and things. Um, so everyone on chat... Say hi to YouTube, folks, because not everybody comes over. If you are interested, though, we are live on Sundays at noon Eastern time in the U.S. to read The Silmarillion. Uh, we are just about halfway through, and we will be picking up a new uh, book in probably about two or three months. And feel free to come out and uh, have a chat. We'll do questions, uh, except this one I probably won't be taking too many questions on. Today, we will be taking um, just a reading, because it's about 20 pages, 20, 25 pages long. Uh, this is chapter 19 of Beren and Luthien. I highly, highly recommend anybody that has not um, watched this one, as it does kind of stand alone in terms of, um, in terms of what the uh, story of the Silmarillion can be. So we've got a lot to get through, so without further ado, we are going to go ahead and get started on Chapter 19 of Beren and Luthien. Among the tales of sorrow and of ruin that came down to us from the darkness of those days, there are yet some in which amid weeping there is joy, and under the shadow of death light that endures. And of these histories most fair, still to the ears of the elves, is the tale of Beren and Luthien. Of their lives was made the Lay of Lathian, release from bondage, which is the longest save one of the songs concerning the world of old. But here the tale is told in fewer words and without song. Tolkien actually did write the Lay of Lathian, so this story the tale of baron and luthien also exists in a poetry form and it is quite good it has been told that barahir would not forsake dorthonian and there morgoth pursued him to the death until at last there remained to him only twelve companions now the forests of dorthonian rose southward into the mountainous moors and in the east of those highlands there lay a lake tarn eluin with wild heaths about it. And all that land was pathless and untamed, for even in the days of the long peace none dwelt there. But the waters of Tarn Eluin were held in reverence, for they were clear and blue by day, and by night they were a mirror for the stars. And it was said that Melian herself had hallowed that water in days of old. Thither Barahir and his outlaws withdrew, and there made their lair, and Morgoth could not discover it. But the rumor of the deeds of Barahir and his companions went far and wide, and Morgoth commanded Sauron to find them and destroy them. Now among the companions of Barahir was Gorlim, son of Egrim. His wife was named Elianel, and their love was great, ere evil befell. But Gorlim, returning from the war upon the marches, found his house plundered and forsaken, and his wife gone, whether slain or taken he knew not. Then he fled to Barahir, and of his companions he was the most fierce and desperate, 
but doubt gnawed his heart, thinking that perhaps Elenel was not dead. At times he would depart alone and secretly, and visit his house that still stood amid the fields and woods that he had once possessed, and this became known to the servants of Morgoth. In a time of autumn he came in the dusk of evening, and drawing near he saw, as he thought, a light in the window, and coming warily he looked within. There he saw Elenel, and her face was worn with grief and hunger, and it seemed to him that he heard her voice lamenting that he had forsaken her. But even as he cried aloud, the light was blown out in the wind. Wolves howled, and on his shoulders he felt suddenly the heavy hands of Sauron's hunters. Thus Gorlim was ensnared, and taking him to their camp, they tormented him, seeking to learn the tidings of Barahir and all his ways. But nothing would Gorlim tell. Then they promised him that he should be released and restored to Elenel if he would yield, and being at last worn with pain and yearning for his wife, he faltered. Then straightway they brought him to the dreadful presence of Sauron, and Sauron said, I hear now that thou wouldst barter with me. What is thy price? And Gorlim answered that he should find Elenel again, and with her be set free, for he thought Elenel also had been made captive. Then Sauron smiled, saying, That is a small price for so great a treachery. So surely it shall be. Say on. Now Gorlim would have drawn back, but daunted by the eyes of Sauron, he told at last all that he would know. Then Sauron laughed, and he mocked Gorlim, and revealed to him that he had seen only a phantom devised by wizardry to entrap him, for Elenel was dead. Nonetheless, I will grant thy prayer, said Sauron, and thou shalt go to Elenel, and be set free of my service. Then he put him cruelly to death. In this way, the hiding of Barahir was revealed, and Morgoth drew his net about it, and the orcs coming in the still hours before dawn surprised the men of Darthonion and slew them, save one. For Beren, son of Barahir, had been sent by his father on a perilous errand to spy upon the ways of the enemy, and he was far afield when the lair was taken. But as he slept, benighted in the forest, he dreamt that carrion birds sacked thick as leaves upon bare trees beside a mere, and blood dripped from their beaks. Then Beren was aware in his dream of a form that came to him across the water, and it was a wraith of Gorlim, and it spoke to him declaring his treachery and death, and bade him make haste to warn his father. Then Beren awoke and sped through the night, and came to the lair of the outlaws in the second morning. But as he drew near, the carrion birds rose from the ground and sat in the alder trees beside Tarn Eluin and croaked in mockery. There, Beren buried his father's bones and raised a cairn of boulders about him and swore upon it an oath of vengeance. First, therefore, he pursued the orcs that had slain his father and his kinsmen, and he found their camp by night at Rivel's well above the fen of Serek. And because of his woodcraft, he came near their fire unseen. There their captain made boast of his deeds, and he held up the hand of Barahir that he had cut off as token for Sauron that their mission was fulfilled. 
and the ring of Felagund was on that hand. Then Baron sprang up from behind the rock and slew the captain, and taking the hand and the ring he escaped, being defended by fate, for the orcs were dismayed and their arrows wild. Just as a reminder, the ring of Felagund, that is the ring that the elf Felagund gave to the man Barahir, after Barahir, which is Baron's father, the main character of this story, his father saved that elf, and that elf gave him the ring. The ring is known as the Ring of Barahir, and anyone that has seen the extended editions of the Two Towers knows that the Ring of Barahir makes an appearance. This is the origin of that ring. Therefore, after four years more, Baron wandered still upon Dorthonian, a solitary outlaw. But he became friends with the birds and the beasts, and they aided him and did not betray him. And from that time forth he ate no flesh, nor slew any living thing that was not in the service of Morgoth. He did not fear death, but only captivity, and being bold and desperate he escaped both death and bonds, and the deeds of lonely daring that he achieved were noised abroad throughout Beleriand, and the tales of them came even to Doriath. And remember, Doriath is the elven kingdom with the big force field around it where Thingol and Melian live. Thingol and Melian are the elven king and queen of uh, part of Middle-earth. At length, Morgoth set a price upon his head, no less than the price upon the head of Thingon, high king of the Noldor. But the orcs fled, rather, at the rumor of his approach, then sought him out. Therefore an army was sent against him under the command of Sauron, and Sauron brought werewolves, fell beasts inhabited by dreadful spirits that he had imprisoned in their bodies. All that land was now become filled with evil, and all clean things were departing from it, and Baron was pressed so hard that at last he was forced to flee Darthonian. In time of winter and snow he forsook the land and grave of his father, and climbing into the high regions of Gorgoroth, the mountains of terror, he descried afar the land of Doriath. There it was he put his heart that he would go, excuse me, go down into the hidden kingdom where no mortal foot had yet trodden. Terrible was his journey, southward journey. Sheer were the precipices of Ered Gorgoroth, and beneath their feet were shadows that laid before the rising of the moon. Beyond lay the wilderness, of Dungortheb, where the sorcery of Sauron and the power of Melian came together, and horror and madness walked. There spiders of the fell races of Ungoliant abode. Remember, Ungoliant is the giant spider that destroyed the trees way back when, thousands of years ago. Or, I'm sorry, hundreds of years ago, I should say. There spiders of the fell race of Ungoliant abode, spinning their unseen web, in which all living things were, snarl, or were snared, and monsters wandered there that were born in the long dark before the sun, hunting silently with many eyes. No food for elves or men was there in that haunted lands, but only death. That journey is not accounted least among the great deeds of Beren, but he spoke of it to no one after lest the horrors return into his mind. And none know how he found a way, and so came by paths that no man or elf else ever dared to tread the borders of Doriath. And he passed through the mazes that Melian wove about the kingdom of Thingol. Even as she had foretold, 
for a great doom lay upon him. It is told in the Lay of Lathian that Beren came stumbling into Doriath, gray and bowed, as with many years of woe. So great had been the torment of the road. But wandering in the summer of the woods of Neldoreth, he came upon Luthien, daughter of Thingol and Melian, at a time of evening, under moonrise, as she danced upon the unfading grass in the glades beside Asgalduin. Then all memory of his pain departed from him, and he fell into an enchantment, for Luthien was the most beautiful of all the children of Iluvatar. Blue was her raiment as the unclouded heaven, but her eyes were gray as the starlit evening. Her mantle was soon with golden flowers, but her hair was dark as the shadows of twilight. As the light upon the leaves of the trees, as the voice of clear water, as the stars above the mist of the world, such was her glory and her loveliness, and in her face was a shining light. But she vanished from his sight, and he became dumb as one that is bound under a spell. And he strayed long in the woods, wild and wary as a beast, seeking for her. In his heart he called her Tinuviel, that signifies Nightingale, daughter of twilight, in the grey elven tongue. For he knew no other name for her, and he saw her afar as leaves in the wind of autumn, and in winter as a star upon a hill. But a chain was about his limbs. A metaphorical chain. He is in the magical force field. He is in the midst of it. There came a time near dawn in the eve of spring, and Luthien danced upon a green hill. And suddenly she began to sing. Keen, heart-piercing was her song, as the song of a lark that rises from the gates of night and pours its voices among the dying stars. Seeing the sun behind the walls of the world, and the song of Luthien released the bonds of winter, and the frozen waters spoke, and the flowers sprang among the cold earth where her feet had passed. Then the spell of silence fell from Beren, and he called to her, crying, Tenuviel, and the woods echoed the name. Then she halted in wonder and fled no more, and Beren came to her. But as she looked on him, doom fell upon her, and she loved him. Yet she slipped away from his arms and vanished from his sight even as the day was breaking. Then Beren lay upon the ground in a swoon as one slain at once by bliss and grief, and he fell into a sleep, as it were, into an abyss of shadow. And waking, he was cold as stone, and his heart barren and forsaken. And wandering in, in mind, he groped as one that is stricken with sudden blindness, and seeks with hands to grasp the vanished light. Thus he began the payment of anguish for the fate that was laid on him. And in his fate, Luthien was caught, and being immortal, she shared in his mortality, and being free, received his chain. And her anguish was greater than any other of the Eldele has known. Beyond his hope, she returned to him, where she sat in darkness, and long ago in the hidden kingdom, she laid her hand in his. Therefore, often she came to him, and they went in secret through the woods together, from spring to summer, 
and no other of the children of Iluvatar have had joy so great, though the time was brief. But Dayron, the minstrel, also loved Luthien, and he espied her meeting with Beren, and betrayed them to Thingol. Then the king was filled with anger, for Luthien he loved above all things, setting her above all the princes of the elves, whereas mortal men he did not even take into his service. Therefore he spoke in grief and amazement to Luthien, but, he would, but she would reveal nothing until he swore an oath to her that he would neither slay Beren nor imprison him. But he sent servants to lay hands on him and lead him to Menegroth as a malefactor, and Luthien, forestalling them, led Beren herself before the throne of Thingol, as if he were an honored guest. She's tricky. Then Thingol looked upon Beren in scorn and anger, but Melian, this is Thingol's wife, was silent. Who are you, said the king, that come hither as a thief and unbidden dare to approach my throne? But Beren, being filled with dread for the splendor of Menegroth and the majesty of Thingol were very great, answered nothing. Therefore Luthien spoke and said, He is Beren, son of Barahir, lord of men, mighty foe of Morgoth, the tale of whose deeds is become a song even among the elves. Let Beren speak, said Thingol. What would you hear, unhappy mortal? For what cause have you left your own lands to enter this which is forbidden to such as you? Can you show reason why my power should not be laid on you in heavy punishment for your insolence and folly? Then Beren looked up and beheld the eyes of Luthien, and his glance also to the face of Melian, and it seemed to him that words were put in his mouth. Fear left him, and the pride of the eldest house of men returned to him, and he said, My fate, O king, led me hither, through perils such as few even of the elves would dare, and here I have found what I sought, not indeed, but in finding I would possess forever. For it is above all gold and silver, and beyond all jewels forever. Neither rock nor steel nor the fires of Morgoth, nor all the powers of the Elf Kingdom shall keep me from my treasure that I desire. For Luthien, your daughter, is the fairest of all the children of the world. Then a silence fell upon the hall, and those that stood there were astounded and afraid. And they thought that Beren would be slain, and Thingol spoke slowly, saying, Death you have earned with these words, and death you should find suddenly had I not sworn an oath in haste, of which I repent, base-born mortal, who in, this, who in the realm of Morgoth has learned to creep in secret as his spies and thralls? Then Beren answered, Death you can give me earned or unearned, but the name I will not take from you of baseborn, nor spy, nor thrall. By the ring of Felagund that I gave to Barahir, my father on the battlefield of the north, my house has not earned such names from any elf, be he king or no. And his words were proud, and all eyes looked upon the ring, for he held it aloft now, and the green jewel gleamed there, 
that the Noldor had devised in Valinor, for this ring was like twin serpents, whose eyes were emeralds, and heads met beneath the crown of golden flowers, that he that the one upheld and the other devoured. That was the badge of Finarfin and his house. Then Melian leaned into Thingol's side and whispered counsel, bade him forego his wrath. For not by you, she said, shall Beren be slain, and far and free does his fate lead him to the end, yet it is wound in yours. Take heed. But Thingol looked in silence upon Luthien, and he thought in his heart, Unhappy men, children of little lords and brief kings, shall such as these lay hands upon you and let live? Then breaking the silence, he said, I see the ring, of Bar I see the ring son of Barahir, and I perceive that you are proud and deem yourself mighty. But a father's deeds, even had his service been rendered to me, avail not to win the daughter of Thingol and Melian. See now, I too desire a treasure that is withheld. For rock and steel and the fires of Morgoth keep the jewel that I would possess against all the powers of the elf kingdom. So Thingol is throwing the words uh, back in his face. Yet I hear you all that bonds such as these do not daunt you. Go your way, therefore. Bring to me in your hand a Silmaril from Morgoth's crown. And then, if she will, Luthien may set your hand in hers. Then you shall have my jewel. And though the fate of Arda lie within the Silmarils, yet you shall hold me generous. Thus he wrought the doom of Doriath, and was ensnared within the curse of Mandos. And those that heard these words perceived that Thingol would save his oath, and yet Beren, and yet send Beren to his death. For they knew that not all the powers of the Noldor before the siege was broken had availed even to see from afar the shining Silmarils of Feanor. For they were set in the ice crown, and treasured in Angband above all wealth. And the Balrogs were about them, and countless words, and strong bars, and unassailable walls, and the dark majesty of Morgoth. I'm going to take a quick break there and take any questions that anybody has. Unless my tortoise just fell over. Nope, he's fine. All right. But Baron laughed. For little price, he said, do elven kings sell their daughters for gems and things made by craft. But if this be your will, Thingol, I will perform it. And when he met and when we meet again, my hand shall hold a Silmaril from the Iron Crown, for you have not looked upon the last of Beren, son of Barahir. Then he looked in the eyes of Melian, who spoke not. And he bade farewell to Luthien Tenuviel. Bowing before Thingol and Melian, he put aside the guards about him and departed from Menegroth alone. Then at last Melian spoke, and she said to Thingol, O king, you have devised cunning counsel. But if my eyes have not lost their sight, it is ill for you, whether Baron fail in his errand or achieve it. For you have doomed either your daughter or yourself, and now is Doriath drawn within the fate of a mightier realm. But Thingol answered, I sell not to men or elves those whom I love and cherish above all treasure. 
but if there were hope or fear that Baron should ever come back alive to Managroth, he should not have looked upon the light of heaven, though I have sworn it. But Luthien was silent, and from that hour she sang not again in Doriath. A brooding silence fell upon the wood, and the shadows lengthened in the kingdom of Thingol. It is told in the Lay of Lathian that Beren passed through Doriath unhindered, and came at length to the region of the twilight mirrors and the fens of Sirion, and leaving Thingol's hand, uh, land, he climbed the hills above the falls of Sirion, where the river plunged underground with great noise. Thence he looked westward, and through the mist and rain that lay upon those hills he saw Talath Dirnin, the guarded plain, stretching between Sirion and Nogrod, those are rivers. And beyond, and beyond he descried afar the highlands of Taur and Fauroth, that rose above Nargothrond, and being destitute, without hope or counsel, he turned his feet thither. Upon all the plains of the elves of Nargothrond kept unceasing watch, and every hill upon its borders was crowned with hidden towers, and through all its woods and fields archers ranged secretly and with great craft. Their arrows were sure and deadly, and nothing crept against their will. Therefore, ere Baron had come upon his road, they were aware of him, and his death was nigh. But knowing his danger, he held ever aloft the ring of Felagund, and though he saw no living thing because of the stealth of the hunters, he felt that he was watched, and cried aloud, I am Baron, son of Barahir, friend of Felagund. Take me to the king. So Baron's got some... Baron's got some... Uh believe the the term is some chutzpah or some gusto or some um cojones or some some daring or some brash and i totally lost my place sorry <laughs> therefore the hunters slew him not but assembling they waylaid him and commanded him to halt but seeing the ring they bowed before him though he was in evil plight wild and wayworn and they led him there northward and westward, going by night, lest their paths should be revealed. For at that time there was no ford or bridge over the torrent of Narog, before the gates of Nargothrond. But further in the north, where Ginglith joined Nogrod, the flood, the flood was less, and crossing there and turning again southward, the elves led Baron under the light of the moon to the dark gates of their hidden halls. It's just a lot of hoopla and saying for um, for uh, describing trees and rivers. Tolkien does that a lot. <laughs> Thus Beren came before King Finrod Felagund, and Felagund knew him, needing no ring to remind him of the kin of Beor and of Barahir. Behind closed doors they sat, and Beren told of the death of Barahir and of all that had fall befallen him in Doriath. And he wept. Sorry, I just needed some water there. Rec uh, excuse me. Um, behind the doors they sat, and Beren told of the death of Barahir, and all that had befallen him in Doriath. And he wept, recalling Luthien and their joy. 
but Felagund heard his tale in wonder and disquiet, and he knew that the oath he had sworn was come upon him for his death, as long before he had foretold to Galadriel. And you, you'll remember, probably not, but many, many chapters ago, Finrod Felagund, who was an elven prince at the time, told Galadriel in passing, I have this doom. I don't remember the exact words, but there was a, uh, there was, there was quite a lot of foreshadowing there that Finrod Felagund was going to be met with a mighty doom. He spoke then to Beren in heaviness of heart. It is plain that Thingol desires your death, but it seems that this doom goes beyond his purpose, and that the oath of Feanor is again at work. For the Silmarils are cursed with an oath of hatred, and he that even names them in desire moves a great power from slumber. And the sons of Feanor would lay all the elven kingdoms in ruin rather than suffer any other than themselves to win or possess a Silmaril. For the oath drives them, and now Keligorm and Kurufin are dwelling in my halls. And remember, Keligorm and Kurufin are the sons of Feanor, and they are literally in the same region as him, as Baron. They have shown friendship to me in every need, but I fear that they will show neither love nor mercy to you, if your quest be told. Yet my own oath holds, and thus we are all ensnared. And that is, I think, the thing, I'll take a brief pause here, that I think is the thing that Tolkien was trying to press, is that swearing oaths while bonds of love and friendship can be made well, if you swear an oath, you may not realize what it means and what consequences it may come later. Then King Felagund spoke before his people, recalling the deeds of Barahir and his vow, and de declared that it was laid upon him to aid the son of Barahir in his need, and he sought the help of his chieftains. Then Keligorm arose amid the throngs, and drawing his sword, he cried, Be he friend or foe, whether demon of Morgoth or elf or child of men, or any other living thing in Arda, neither law nor love nor league of hell, nor might of the Valar, nor any power of wizardry, shall defend him from the pursuing hate of Feanor's sons, if he take or find a Silmaril and keep it. For the Silmarils we alone claim until the world ends. Uh, Feanor's sons have some anger issues. Many other words he spoke, as potent as were long before in Tyrion, the words of his father that first inflamed the Noldor in rebellion. There's a little bit of like father, like son here. And after Keligorm, Kurufin spoke, more softly, but with no less power, conjuring in the mind of the elves a vision of war and the ruin of Nargothrond. So great a fear did he set in their hearts that never after until the time of Turin would any elf of that realm go into open battle. But with stealth and ambush, with wizardry and venom dart, they pursued all strangers, forgetting the bonds of kinship. Thus they fell from the valor and freedom of the elves of old, and their land was darkened. Now keep in mind, all of this is happening while pretty much most of the northern part of Middle-earth is gone 
because Morgoth broke the siege. And now they murmured that Fidarfin's son was not as Avala to command them, and they turned their faces from him. But the curse of Mandos came upon the brothers, and dark thoughts arose in their hearts, thinking to send forth Felagund alone to his death, and to usurp it might be the throne of Nargothrond, for they were in the eldest line of princes of the Noldor. And Felagund, seeing that he was forsaken, took from his head the silver crown of Nargothrond, and cast it at his feet, saying, Your oaths of faith to me you may break, but I must hold my bond. Yet if there are any on whom shadow of our curse has not yet fallen, I should find at least a few to follow me, and should not go hence as a beggar that is thrust from the gate. There were ten that stood by him, and the chief among them, whose name was Edrahil, stooping, lifted the crown, and asked that it be given to a steward until Felagun's return. For you remain my king and theirs, he said, whatever betide. When Felagund gave the crown of Nargothrond to Orodreth, his brother, to govern in his stead, and Caligorm and Kurufin said nothing, but they smiled and went from the halls. Mm. On an evening of autumn, Felagund and Beren set out from Nargothrond with their ten companions, and they journeyed beside Narog to his source, in the falls of Ivrin, beneath the shadowy mountains, they came upon a company of orcs and slew them all in their camp by night, and they took their gear and their weapons. By the arts of Felagund, their own forms and faces were changed to the likeness of orcs. That's another kind of elf power, form change ability. It's not mentioned a lot, but it is here. And thus disguised, they came upon their northward road and ventured into the westward pass between Eredwethrin and the highlands of Tower Nufuin. But Sauron, in his power, was aware of them. And doubt took him, for he went in haste and stayed not to report their deeds as he was commanded to all the servants of Morgoth that passed that way. Therefore he sent to waylay them and bring them to him. Thus befell the contest of Sauron and Felagund, which is renowned. I'm going to pause here before we get to this part to kind of explain something that is going to happen. This is going to be a sort of battle of the mind and battle of the voice. Finrod, the king of the elves, is about to fight with Sauron, but not in a physical way. There's not going to be swords. There's going to be a battle of the mind. Um, not unlike Galadriel getting his voice, getting her voice rather into Frodo's mind in the movies, but in a way that they are sort of competing mentally with each other. Here we go. For Felagund strove with Sauron in songs of power, and the power of the king was very great. But Sauron had the mastery, as is told in the Lay of Lathian. And this is where we get to the part where a, if you'll look on the screen, an actual portion is written in the poetry. It doesn't quite rhyme in normal, and I'm going to try my best to follow the, the verse, but, but bear with me as I do this. He chanted a song of wizardry, of piercing, opening, of treachery, 
revealing, uncovering, betraying. Then sudden fell a gun there swaying, sang in answer a song of staying, resisting, battling against the power of secret kept, strength like a tower, and thrust unbroken, freedom, escape, of changing and of shifting shape, of snares eluded, broken traps, and prison opening, the chain that snaps. Backwards and forwards swayed their songs, reeling and foundering as ever more strong. The chanting swelled, Felagund fought, and all the might, magic and might he brought of Elveness into his words. Softly in the gloom they heard the birds singing afar in Nargothrond, the sighing of the sea beyond, beyond the western world on sand, on sand of pearls in Elvenland. Then the gloom gathered, darkness growing, in Valinor, the red blood flowing, beside the seas where the Noldor slew the foam riders, and stealing, drew their white ships with their white sails from lamplit havens. The wind wails, the wolf howls, the raven flees, the ice mutters in the mouths of the seas, the captives sad in angband mourn. Thunder rumbles, and fires burn, and Finrod fell before the throne. Then Sauron stripped them of their disguise, and they stood before him naked and afraid. But though their kinds were revealed, Sauron could not discover their names or their purpose. He cast them, therefore, into the deep pits, dark and silent, and threatening, and threatened to slay them cruelly unless one would betray him to truth. From time to time they saw two eyes kindled in the dark, and a werewolf devoured one of the companions, but none betrayed their lord. In the time when Sauron cast Baron into the pit, a weight of horror came upon Luthien's heart, and going to Melian for counsel, she learned that Baron lay in the dungeons of Tall in Gorthaur. I'm sorry, Tol in Gaurhoth, without hope of rescue. Then Luthien, perceiving that no help would come from any other on earth, resolved to fly from Doriath. Fly meaning uh, flee or leave. Sorry, I lost my place. Resolved to fly from Doriath and come herself to him, but she sought the aid of Deiron, and he betrayed her. Excuse me, and he betrayed her purpose to the king. Then Thingol was filled with fear and wonder, and because he would not deprive Luthien of the light of heaven lest she fa fail and fade, and yet would not restrain her, he caused a house to be built, from which she would not escape. Not far from the gates of Menegroth stood the greatest of all trees in the forest of Neldoreth and there was a beech forest in the northern half of the kingdom. This mighty beech was named Hirilorn, I'm sorry, Hirilorn, and it was there, oh, excuse me, and it had three trunks, equal in girth, smooth in rind, and exceeding tall. No branches grew from them for a great height above the ground. Far aloft between the shafts of Hirilorn, a wooden house was built, and there Luthien was made to dwell, and the ladders there were taken away and guarded, save only when the servants of Thingol brought her such things as she needed. Now, 
if it sounds like Rapunzel, it's because it is. It is told in the Lay of Lathian how she escaped from the house of Hirilorn, for she put forth her arts of enchantment and caused her hair to grow to great length, and of it she wove a dark robe that wrapped her beauty like a shadow and was laden with a spell of sleep. For the strands that remained she twined a rope, and she let it down from her window, and as, she, and as the end swayed above the guards that sat beneath the tree, they fell into a slumber. Then Luthien climbed down from her prison and shrouded her, and shrouded in her shadowy cloak, she escaped from all eyes and vanished out of Doriath. So if you're looking for a Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your hair, prince, you don't need to look. Luthien rescues herself, which is why she is my favorite female character from all of Tolkien's Legendarium. I know Tolkien gets a lot of flack for not having a lot of female characters. I will say this. The ones that he does write are pretty great. Let's continue. It chanced that Keligorm and Kurufin went on a hunt through the guarded plains, and this they did because Sauron, being filled with suspicion, sent forth many wolves into the elf lands. Therefore they took their hounds and rode forth, and they brought and they thought that ere they returned they might also hear tidings concerning King Felagund. Now the chief of the wolfhounds that follow, followed Kelegor was named Huwan. He was not born in Middle-earth, but came from the blessed realms, for Orome had given him to Kelegor long ago in Valinor. So this is a dog from the Undying Lands. He was not born in... Oh, excuse me, I read that part. For Orome had given him to Kelegor long ago in Valinor, and there he had followed the horn of his master before evil came. Huan followed Kelegorm into exile, and was faithful, and thus he too came under the doom of woe set upon the Noldor, and it was decreed that he should meet death, but not until he encountered the mightiest wolf that should ever walk the world. There's a lot of prophecies like that. Huan it was that found Luthien flying like a shadow, surprised by the daylight under, tre under the trees, when Kelegorm and Kurufin rested while near the western eaves of Doriath, for nothing could escape the sight and scent of Huon, nor could any enchantment stay him. And, she, and he slept not, neither by night nor day. He brought her to Kelegorm, and Luthien, learning that he was a prince of the Noldor and a foe of Morgoth, was glad. And she declared herself, casting aside her cloak. So great was her sudden beauty revealed beneath the sun that Kelegorm became enamored of her. But he spoke her fair, and promised that she would find help in her need, if she returned with him now to Nargothrond. By no sign did he reveal that he already knew of Beren and his quest, of which she told, nor that it was a matter which touched him near. Thus they broke off the hunt, and returned to Nargothrond, and Luthien was betrayed. For they held her fast, and took away her cloak, and she was not permitted to pass the gates or speak with any save the brothers, Caligorm and Kurufin. For now, believing that Berend and Felagund were prisoners beyond hope of aid, they purposed to let the king perish, and to keep Luthien, and force Thingol to give her hand to Caligorm. Thus they would advance their power, and become the mightiest of the princes of the Noldor. And they did not purpose to seek the Silmarils by craft or war, or to suffer any other to do so, 
until they had all the might of the elf kingdoms under their hand. Orodreth had no power to withstand them, for they swayed the hearts of the people of Nargothrond, and Caligorum sent messengers to Thingol, urging his suit. But Huon, the hound, was true of heart, and the love of Luthien had fallen upon him in the first hour of their meeting, and he grieved at her captivity. Therefore he came often to her chambers, and at night he lay before her door, and for he felt the evil that had come to Nargothrond, Luthien spoke often to Huon in her loneliness, telling of Beren, who was the friend of all birds and beasts that did not serve Morgoth. And Huon understood all that was said, for he comprehended the speech of all things that were voiced, but it was permitted to him only thrice ere his death to speak with words. Now Huon devised a plan for the aid of Luthien, and coming at time of, at time of night he brought her cloak, and for the first time he spoke, giving her counsel. Then he led her by secret ways out of Nargothrond, and they fled north together, and he humbled his pride and suffered her to ride upon him in the fashion of a steed, even as the orcs did at times upon great wolves. Thus they made great speed, for Huan was swift and tireless. This is the talking dog I have been talking about for a couple of weeks. In the pits of Sauron, Beren and Felagund lay, and all their companions were now dead. But Sauron purposed to keep... Oh, hang on. Let me bring this up here. But Sauron purposed to keep Felagund to the last, for he perceived that he was a Noldo of great might and wisdom, and he deemed that in him lay the secret of their errand. But when the wolf came for Beren, Felagund put forth all his power and burst his bonds and wrestled with the werewolf and slew it with his hands and teeth, and yet himself was wounded to the death. Then he spoke to Beren, saying, I go now to my long rest in the timeless halls beyond the seas and the mountains of Amon. It will be long ere I am seen among the Noldor again, and it may be that we shall not meet a second time in life or death, for the fate of our kindreds are apart. Farewell. And he died in the dark Tall and Gorhoth, whose great towers he himself had built. Thus, King Fingrod Felagund, fairest and most beloved of the house of Finway, redeemed his oath. But Baron mourned beside him in despair. In that hour, Luthien came, and standing upon a bridge that led to Sauron's isle, she sang a song that no walls of stone could hinder. Beren heard, and he thought that he dreamed, for the stars shone above him, and in the trees nightingales were singing, and in answer she sang a song of challenge that he had made in praise of the seven stars, the sickles of the Valar, that Varda hung in the, above the north as the sign for the fall of Morgoth. Then all strength left him, and he fell into darkness. But Luthien heard his answering voice, and she sang then a song of great power. The wolves howled, and the isle trembled. Sauron stood in a high tower, wrapped in his black thought, but he smiled, hearing her voice. For he knew 
that it was the daughter of Melian. The fame of the beauty of Luthien and the wonder of her song had long gone forth from Doriath, and he thought to make her captive and hand her over to the power of Morgoth, for his reward would be great. Therefore he set a wolf on the bridge, but Huon slew it silently. Still Sauron sent another, one by one, and one by one Huon took them by the throat and slew them. Then Sauron sent Draugluin, a dread beast, old in evil, lord and sire of the werewolves of Angband, and his might was great. And the battle of Huon and Draugluin was long and fierce. Yet at length Draugluin escaped, fleeing back into the tower. He died before Sauron's feet, and as he died, he told his master, Huon is here. Now Sauron knew well, as did all in that land, the fate that was decreed for the Hound of Valinor. And it came into his thought that he himself would accomplish it. Therefore he took upon himself the form of a werewolf, and made himself the mightiest that had yet walked the world, and he came forth to win the passage of the bridge. So great was the horror of his approach that Huon leapt aside. Then Sauron sprang upon Luthien, and she swooned before the menace of the fell spirit in, the, in his eyes, the foul vapor of his breath. But even as he came falling upon her, she cast a fold of her dark cloak before his eyes, and he stumbled, for a fleeting drowsiness came upon him. Then Huon sprang. There befell the battle of Huon, and wolf Sauron, and the howls and bayings echoed in the hills, and the watchers on the walls of Eredwethrin across the valley heard it afar, and were dismayed. But no wizardry, nor spell, neither fang nor venom, nor devil's art, nor beast's strength could overthrow Huon of Valinor, and he took his foe by the throat and pinned him down. Then Sauron shapeshifted, from wolf to serpent, and from monsters by his own accustomed form, but he could not elude the grip of Huon without forsaking his body utterly, ere his foul spirit left its dark house. Luthien came to him and said that he should be stripped of his raiment of flesh, and his ghost be sent quaking back to Morgoth, and she said, there, everlasting, thy naked self shall endure the torment of his scorn, pierced by his eyes unless thou yield to me the mastery of thy tower. Then Sauron yielded himself, and Luthien took mastery of the isle and all that was in there, and Huon released him. And immediately he took the form of a vampire, great as a dark cloud across the moon. He fled, dripping blood from his throat upon the trees, and came to Tower Nufuin, and dwelt there, filling it, with horror. I'm just going to take up a, a minute there because personally, right? Right? So cool. Then Luthien stood upon the bridge and declared her power, and the spells that 
uh, and the spell was loosed that bound stone to stone, and the gates were thrown down, and the walls open, and the pits laid bare, and many thralls and captives came forth in wonder and dismay, shielding their eyes from the pale moonlight, for they had lain long in darkness of Sauron. But Beren came not. Therefore Huon and Luthien sought him in the isle, and Luthien found him mourning by Felagund. So deep was his anguish that he lay still and did not hear her feet. Then, thinking him already dead, she put her arms around him and fell into a darkness, into a dark forgetfulness. But Beren, coming back to the light out of the pits of despair, lifted her up, and they looked upon one another. And the day, rising over the dark hills, shone upon them. They buried the body of Felagund upon the hilltop of his own isle, and it was clean again. And the green grave of Finrod, Finarfin's son, fairest of all the princes of the elves, remained invalid until the land was changed and broken and foundered under destroying seas. But Finrod walks with Finarfin his father beneath the trees of Eldamar. That last sentence is about as happy of an ending as you can get. For those that don't know, elves, when they die, go to a place called the Halls of Mandos. And in the Halls of Mandos, their spirit dwells until they are reborn. This is the fate of all elves. And so that last sentence gives us as much closer, closure as we possibly could in that Finrod is eventually reborn and is walking with his father, Finarfin, in the Undying Lands again. That is the fate of all elves to, when they do die, be reborn once again after a brief time in the halls of Mandos. Now Beren and Luthien Tenuviel went free again and together, walked through the woods, renewing for a time their joy. And though, and though winter came, it hurt them not, for flowers lingered where Luthien went, and birds sang beneath the snow-clad hills. But Huon, being faithful, went back to Kelegorm, his master, yet their love was less than before. There was tumult in Nargothrond, for thither now returned many elves that had been prisoners in the Isle of Sauron, and a clamor arose that no words of Kelegorm could still. They lamented bitterly the fall of Felagund their king, saying that a maiden had dared what the sons of Feanor had not dared to do. But many perceived that it was treachery rather than fear that had guided Kelegorm and Kurufin. Therefore the hearts of the people of Nargothrond were released from their dominion and turned again to the house of Finarfin, and they obeyed Orodreth. But he would not suffer them to slay the brothers as some desired, for the spilling of kindred blood by kin would bind the curse of Mandos more closely upon them. Yet neither bread nor rest would he grant to Kelgorm and Kurufin within his realm, and he swore that there should be little love between Nargothrond and the sons of Feanor thereafter. Let it be so, said Kelegorm, and there was a light of menace in his eyes, but Kurufin smiled. Then he took horse, then they took horse and rode away like fire to find, if they might, their kindred in the east, 
but none would go with them, not even those that were in their own people. For they all perceived that the curse lay heavily upon the brothers, and that evil followed them. In that time, Celebrimbor, son of Kurufin, repudiated the deeds of his father, and remained in Nargothrond. Yet Huon followed still the house of Ke the horse of Kelegorm to his master. I will pause briefly there to make mention of a name that is here. In that time, Celebrimbor, son of Corufin, repudiated the deeds of his father. Celebrimbor is the maker of the rings of power. Celebrimbor made the elven rings and helped Sauron in all of his ringcraft. He made the other 19 with Sauron. He's going to come up a lot later, but that is the first mention of Celebrimbor. You may also recognize him from the uh, video game Shadow of Mordor and Shadow of War, both excellent games. Not exactly canon as to what happens uh, in those video games, but regardless, quite good. <clears throat> Northward they rode, for they intended in their haste to pass through Dimbar and along the north marches of Doriath, seeking the swiftest road of Himring, where Maedhros, their brother, dwelt, and still they might hope with speed to traverse it, since it lay close to Doriath's borders, shunning Nan-Dungortheb and the distant menace of the Mountains of Terror. Now it is told that Beren and Luthien came in their wandering into the forest of Brethiel, and drew near at last to the borders of Doriath. There Beren took thought to his vow, and against his heart he resolved, when Luthien was come again within the safety of her own lands, to set forth once more. But she was not willing to be parted from him again, saying, You must choose, Beren, between these two to relinquish the quest and your oath and seek a life of wandering upon the face of the earth, or to hold to your word and challenge the power of darkness upon its throne. But on either road I shall go with you, and our doom shall be alike. Even as they spoke together like this, walking without heed of aught else, Kelegorm and Kurufin rode up, hastening through the forest, and the brothers espied them, and knew them from afar. Then Kelegorm turned his horse and spurred it upon Beren, purposing to ride him down. But Kurufin, swerving, stooped and lifted Luthien to his saddle, for he was strong and cunning horseman. Then Beren sprang from before Kelegorm upon, full upon the speeding horse of Kurufin that had passed him, and the leap of Beren is renowned among men and elves, and he took Kurufin by the throat from behind and hurled him backwards, and they fell to the ground together, and the horse reared and fell, but Luthien was flung aside and lay upon the grass. Beren just jumped up to the size of a horse and took someone down and tackled him off a horse. If you need to wonder why Beren is one of my favorite characters in fiction, look no further. Then Beren throttled Kurufin, but death was near him, for Kelegorm rode upon him with a spear. In that hour, Huan forsook the services of Kelegorm and sprang upon him so that his horse swerved aside and would not approach Beren because of the terror of the great hound. Kelegorm cursed both hound and horse, but Huan was unmoved. Then Luthien, 
rising, forbade the slaying of Kurufin. But Beren despoiled him of his gear and weapons and took his knife, Angrist. That knife was made by Telkar of Nogrod and hung sheathless by his side. Iron it would cleave as if it were green wood. Then Beren, lifting Kurufin, flung from him, flung, excuse me, then Beren, lifting Kurufin, flung him from him, and bade him walk now back to his noble kinsfolk, who might teach him to turn his valor to worthier use. Your horse, he said, I keep for the service of Luthien, and it may be accounted happy to be free of such a master. Then Kurufin, Cursed Baron under cloud and sky, go hence, he said, unto a swift and bitter death. Caligorm took him beside him onto his horse, and the brothers made then as if to ride away. And Baron turned away and took no heed of their words. But Kurufin, being filled with shame and malice, took the bow of Caligorm and shot back as they went, and the arrow was aimed at Luthien. Huan, leaping, caught it in his mouth, but Kurufin shot again, and Beren sprang before Luthien, and the dart smote him in the breast. It is told that Huan pursued the sons of Feanor, and they fled in fear, and returning, he brought to Luthien a herb out of the forest. But with that leaf, she staunched Baron's wound, and by her arts and by her love, she healed him. Thus, at last, they returned to Doriath. There, Baron, being torn between his oath and his love, and knowing Luthien to be safe now, arose one morning before the sun and committed her to the care of Huan. Then, in great anguish, he departed while she slept upon the grass. He rode northward again, with all speed, to the pass of Sirion, and coming to the skirts of Tower Nufuin, he looked out across the waste of Anfauglith, and saw afar the peaks of Thangorodrim, which is Morgoth's, um, which is Morgoth's uh, fortress. There, he diminished. He dismissed the horse of Kurufin and bade it leave now dread and servitude, and run free upon the green grass in the land of Sirion. Then, be, being now alone and upon the threshold of the final peril, he made the song of parting in praise of Luthien and the lights of heaven, for he believed that he must now say farewell to both love and light. Of that song, these words were part. Farewell, sweet earth, and northern sky, forever blessed, since here did lie, and here with lissom limb did run, beneath the moon, beneath the sun, Luthien, Tenuviel, more fair than mortal tongue can tell. Though all the ruin fell the world, and were dissolved and backwards hurled, unmade into the old abyss, yet were its making good for this, the dusk, the dawn, the earth, the sea, that Luthien, for a time, should be. And he sang aloud, not caring what ear should overhear him, for he was desperate and looked for no escape. But Luthien heard his song 
and she sang in answer. As she came through the woods unlooked for, for Huan, consenting once more unto be her steed, had borne her swiftly, hard, upon Baron's trail. Long he had pondered in his heart what counsel he could devise for the light, lightening of the peril of those two whom he loved. He turned aside, therefore, at Sauron's isle, as they ran northward again, and he took thence the ghastly wolfheim of Draugluin, and the fell and the bat fell of Th Thuringwethil. Oh, excuse me. Hang on, I missed a part. I need to go back real quick. I apologize. But Luthien heard his song, and she sang in answer, and came through the woods unlooked for. For Huon, consenting once more to be her steed, had borne her swiftly hard upon Beren's trail. Long he had pondered in his heart what counsel he could devise for the lightening of the peril of these two whom he loved. He turned aside, therefore, at Sauron's isle, as they ran northward, and he took thence the ghastly wolfheim of Draugluin, and the bat fell of Turingwethin. She was the messenger of Sauron, as was wont to fly in vampire form to Angband, and her great finger excuse me, and her great fingered wings were barbed at each joint with an iron claw. Clad in these dreadful garments, Huon and Luthien ran through Tower Nufuin, and all things fled before him. So Luthien and Huon just took the shape of one of Sauron's servants, who is a vampire queen named Thuringwethil, and Draugluin, who is a, a werewolf. So they just took that form and are now just basically shape-shifting their way through all of the bad parts of Middle-earth that Sauron controls. Beren, seeing their approach, was dismayed, and he wondered, for he had heard the voice of Tenuviel and thought it was a phantom for his ensnaring. But they halted and cast aside their disguise, and Luthien ran towards him. Thus Beren and Luthien met again between the desert and the wood, and for a while he was silent and was glad. But after a space he strove once more to dissuade Luthien from her journey. Thrice now I curse my oath to Thingol, he said, and I would that he would slain he would had slain me in Menegroth. Rather I should bring you under the shadow of Morgoth. Then for a second time Huon spoke with words, and he counselled Beren, saying, From the shadow of death you can no longer save Luthien, for by her love she is now subject to it. You can turn from fate and lead her into exile, seeking peace in vain while your life lasts. But if you will not deny your doom, then either Luthien, being forsaken, must assuredly die alone, or she must with you challenge fate that lies before you. Hopeless, yet not certain, further counsel I cannot give, nor may I go further on your road. But my heart forebodes that what you may find at the gates I shall myself see. All else is dark to me, yet it may be that our three paths lead back to Doriath, and we may meet before the end. Then Beren perceived that Luthien could not be divided from the doom that lay upon them both, and he sought no longer to dissuade her. By the counsel of Huan and the arts of Luthien he was arrayed now, 
in the hame of Draugluin, and she in the winged form of Thorin Wethrin, Wethil. Beren became in all things like a werewolf to look upon, save that in her, his eyes there shone a spirit, grim indeed, but clean, and horror was in his glance, as was first upon his flank a bat-like creature clinging with creased wings. Then howling under the moon, he leapt down the hill, and the bat wheeled and flittered above him. They passed through all perils until they came with the dust of their long and weary road upon the drear dale that lay before the gates of Angband. Black chasms opened beside the road, whence forms of the withering serpents issued. On either hand the cliffs stood an embattered wall, and upon them sat carrion fowl crying with fell voices. Before them was the impregnable gate, an arch wide and dark at the foot of the mountain. Upon it, or excuse me, above it, reared a thousand-foot precipice. There dismay took them, for at the gate was a guard of whom no tidings had yet gone forth, rumor of he knew n Rumor of he knew not, knew, excuse me, let me try that again. Rumor of he knew not what designs abroad among the princes of the elves had come to Morgoth. And ever down the aisles of the forests was heard the baying of Huan. Oh, hang on, did I skip a page? No. Oh. The great hound of war, whom long ago the Valar unleashed. Then Morgoth, excuse me, hang on. Then Morgoth recalled the doom of Huon, and he chose one from among the whelps of the race of Draugluin, and he fed him with his own hand upon living flesh, and put his power upon him. Swiftly the wolf grew, until he could, reap, he could creep in no den, but lay huge and hungry before the feet of Morgoth. There the fire and anguish of hell entered into him, and he became filled with the devouring spirit, tormented and terrible and strong. Karkaroth, the Red Maw, he is named in the tales of those days, and Anfauglir, the Jaws of Thirst, and Morgoth set him to lie unsleeping before the doors of Angband, lest Huon come. So Sauron, hearing about Huon, is like, <clears throat> yeah, probably should have one of those of my own. And yeah, Planet Toaster, you're absolutely right. This is where Tolkien gets uh, his Drew inspiration from uh, Fenrir, the, the wolf. Now Karkaroth espied them from afar, and was filled with doubt, for news had long been brought to Angband that Draug Lewin was dead. Therefore, when they approached, he denied them entry, and bade them stand. And he drew near with menace, scenting something strange in the air about them. And suddenly, some power descended of old upon the divine race, possessed Luthien, and casting back her foul raiment, she stood forth, small before the might of Karkaroth, but radiant and terrible. Lifting her hand up, she commanded him to sleep, saying, O woe-begotten spirit, fall now— Excuse me, that's my own dog, you hear— my own dog wanted to be part of the story. That's what I'm saying. Great timing, River. 
<laughs> Lifting her hand, she commanded him, saying, O woe-begotten spirit, fall now into oblivion, and forget for a while the dreadful doom of life. I see you spamming the emote. Thank you. <laughs> and Karkaroth was felled, as though lightning had smitten him. Then Baron and Luthien went through the gate and down the labyrinthine stairs, and together wrought the greatest deed that has ever been dared by elves or men. For they came to rest at the seat of Morgoth in his, near, in his nethermost halls, and was upheld by horror, lit by fire, and filled with weapons of death and torment. There, Baron slunk in wolf form beneath his throne, but Luthien was stripped of her disguise by the will of Morgoth, and he bent his gaze upon her. She was not daunted by his eyes, and she named her own name and offered her service to sing before him after the manner of a minstrel. Then Morgoth, looking upon her beauty, conceived in his thought an evil lust, and a desire more dark than any that had come to his that had come into his heart since he fled from Valinor. Thus he was beguiled by his own malice, for he watched her, leaving her free for a while, and taking secret pleasure in his thoughts. Then suddenly she eluded his sight, and out of the shadow began a song of such surpassing loveliness and of such blinding power that he listened perforce, and a blindness came upon him as his eyes roamed to and fro, seeking her. All his court was cast down in a slumber, and all the fires faded and were quenched. But the Silmaril in the crown on Morgoth's head blazed forth suddenly with a radiance of white flame, and the burden of that crown and the jewels bowed his head as though the world were set upon it laden with a weight of care and fear and of desire that even the will of Morgoth could not support. She cast, oh, excuse me, then Luthien, catching up her winged robes, sprang into the air, and her voice came dropping down like rain into pools, profound and dark. She cast her cloak before his eyes and set upon him a dream, dark as the outer void where once he walked alone. Suddenly he fell as a hill sliding in avalanche and hurled like thunder from his throne lay prone upon the floors of hell. The iron crown rolled, echoing from his head. All things were still. As a dead beast, Beren lay upon the ground, but Luthien, touching him with her hand, aroused him, and he cast aside the wolfhame. Then he drew forth the knife angrist, and from the iron claws that held it, he cut a silmaril. As he closed in, in his hand, the radiance welled through his living flesh, and his hand became as a shining lamp. But the jewel suffered his touch and heard him not, it came then to Baron's mind that he would go beyond his vow and bear out of Angband all three jewels of Feanor. But such was not the doom of the Silmarils. The knife angrist 
snapped, and the shard of the blade flying smote the cheek of Morgoth. He groaned and stirred, and all of the host of Angband moved in sleep. Then terror fell upon Beren and Luthien, and they fled, heedless and without disguise, desiring only to see the light once more. They were neither hindered nor pursued, but the gate was held against their going, for Kargoroth had arisen from sleep and stood now in wrath upon the threshold of Angband. Before they were aware of him, he saw them and sprang upon them as they ran. Luthien was spent, and she had not the time nor the strength to quell the wolf, but Beren strode forth before her, and in his right hand he held aloft the Silmaril. Karkaroth halted for a moment and was afraid. Get you gone and fly, cried Beren, for here is a fire that shall consume you and all evil things. And he thrust the Silmaril before the eyes of the wolf. But Karkaroth looked upon that holy jewel and was not daunted. And the devouring spirit within him awoke to sudden fire. And gaping, he took suddenly the hand within his jaw, and he bit it off at the wrist. Then swiftly all his innards were filled with a flame of anguish, and the Silmaril seared his accursed flesh. Howling, he fled before them, and the walls of the valley of the gate echoed with the clamor of his torment. So terrible did he become in his madness that all the creatures of Morgoth that abode in that valley or were upon any of the roads that lay thither fled before him. For he slew all living things that stood before his path and burst from the north with ruin upon the world. Of all the terrors that came ever into Beleriand ere Angband's fall, the madness of Karkaroth was most dreadful, for the power of the Silmaril was hidden within him. Now Beren lay in a swoon within the perilous gates, and death drew nigh him. For there was venom in the fangs of the wolf. Luthien, with her lips, drew out the venom, and she put forth her failing power to staunch the hideous wound. But behind her, in the depths of Angband, the rumors grew of a great wrath arose. The host of Morgoth were awakened. Thus the quest of the Silmaril was like to have ended in ruin and despair. But in the hour above the wall of the valley, three mighty birds appeared, flying northward with wings swifter than the wind. Among all birds and beasts, the wandering and need of Beren had been noised and Huon himself had bidden all things watch that they might bring aid to him. So Huon is literally going around saying, hey, keep an eye out for these. High above the realm of Morgoth, Thorondor and his vassals soared, and seeing upon the madness of the wolf and Beren's fall, they came swiftly down, even as the powers of Angband were released from the toils of sleep. Then they lifted Beren up, or excuse me, then they lifted up Luthien and Beren from the earth and bore them aloft into the clouds. Below them, suddenly the thunder rolled and lightning leapt forward and the mountains quaked. Fire 
and smoke belch forth from Thangorodrim. Flaming bolts were hurled far abroad, falling ruinously into the land, and the Noldor and Hithlim trembled. But Thorondor took his way far above the earth, seeking the high roads of heaven, where the sun daylong shines upon the veiled, unveiled, and the moon walks amid the cloudless stars. Thus they passed swiftly over Dor Nufauglith and over Tower Nufuin, and came above the hidden valley of Tumladen. No cloud could mist lay there, nor mist lay there, and looking down Luthien saw far above, as the white light startling from a green jewel, the radiance of Gondolin, the fair where Turgon dwelt. But she wept, for she thought that Beren would surely die. He spoke no word, nor opened his eyes, and knew thereafter nothing of his fight, flight. And at last the eagles set down, set them down upon the borders of Doriath, and there and were come to that excuse me, and were come to that same dwell whence Beren had stolen in despair and left Luthien asleep. There the eagles lay her excuse me, there the eagles lay her at Beren's side, and returned to the peaks of Chrysagrim and their high Ares. But Huon came to her, and together they tended Beren, even as before she had healed him of the wound that Kurufin gave to him. But this wound was fell and poisonous. Long Beren lay, and his spirit wandered upon the dark border of death, knowing ever an anguish that pursued him from dream to dream. Then suddenly, when her hope was almost spent, he woke again and looked up, seeing leaves against the sky, and he heard beneath the leaves singing soft and slow beneath him, Luthien Tenuvio, and it was spring again. Therefore, Beren was named Eric Manion. Erechamion. Sorry, I couldn't pronounce that for a hot second. Therefore, Beren was named Erechamion, which is one-handed, and suffering was graven on his face. But at last he was drawn back to life by the love of Luthien. And he, and he arose, and together they walked in the woods once more. And they did not hasten from that place, for it seemed fair to them. Luthien indeed was willing to wander in the wild without returning, forgetting house and people and all glory of the elf kingdoms. And for a time, Beren was content. But he could not for long forget his oath to return to Menegroth, nor would he withhold Luthien from Thingol forever. For he had held, by the laws of men, deeming it perilous to set at naught the will of the Father, save at the last need. And it seemed to him unfit that one so royal and fair as Luthien should live always in the woods as the rude hunters among men, without home or honor or the fair things that are the delights of the queens of the Eldalay. Therefore, after a while, he persuaded her, and their footsteps forsook the houseless lands, and he passed into Doriath, leading Luthien home. So their doom willed it. Upon Doriath, evil days had fallen. Grief and silence had come upon all its people when Luthien was lost. Long they had sought for her in vain, 
and it is told that in that time Daeron the minstrel of Thingol strayed from the land and was seen no more. He it was that made music for the dance and song of Luthien before Beren came to Doriath, and he had loved her, and set all his thought of her in his music. He became the greatest of all minstrels of the elves east of the sea, named even before Maglor, son of Feanor. But seeking for Luthien in despair, he wandered upon strange paths. Passing over the mountains, he came to the east of Middle-earth, where for many ages he made lament beside dark waters for Luthien, daughter of Thingol, most beautiful of living things. In that time, Thingol turned to Melian, but now she withheld her counsel from him, saying that the doom that he had devised must work to its appointed end, and that he must wait now upon time. But Thingol learned that Luthien had journeyed far from Doriath, for messages came secretly from Keligorm, as has been told, saying that Felagund was dead, and Beren was dead, and Luthien was in Nargothrond, and that Keligorm would wed her. Then Thingol was wrathful, and he sent spies, and thinking to make war upon Nargothrond, and thus he learned that Luthien was again fled, and that Keligorm and Kurufin were driven from Nargothrond. Then, he, then his counsel was in doubt for he had not the strength to assail the seven sons of Feanor, but he sent messages to Himring to summon their aid in seeking for Luthien, since Keligorm had not sent her to the house of her father, nor had he kept her safely. But in the north of his realm, his messengers met with peril, sudden and unlooked for, the onslaught of Karkaroth, the wood wolf of Angband. In his madness he had run, ravening from the north, and the passing at length over Tower Nufuin, upon its eastern side, he came down upon the eastern sources of Asgalduin like a destroying fire. Nothing hindered him, and the might of Melian upon the border of the land stayed him not. That force field is not going to do it anymore. For fate drove him, and the power of the Silmaril that he bore in his torment. Thus, he burst into the invalid, invalid woods of Doriath, and all fled away from him. Alone of the messengers, Mablung, chief captain of the kings, escaped, and he brought the dread tidings to Thingol. Even in that dark hour, Beren and Luthien returned, hastening from the west, and the news of their coming went before them like a sound of music borne by the winds before the dark houses where men sit sorrowful. They came at last to the gates of Menagroth, and the great host followed them. Then Beren led Luthien before the throne of Thingol her father, and he looked in wonder upon Beren, whom Thingol had thought dead. But he loved him not, because of the woes that he had brought upon Doriath. Then Beren knelt before him and said, I return according to my word. I am come now to claim my own. And Thingol answered, What of your quest, and of your vow? And Beren said, It is fulfilled. Even now, a Silmaril is in my hand. Getting a little tricky there, Beren, huh? <laughs> then Thingol said, Show it to me. And Beren put forth his left hand, opening slowly its fingers, but it was empty, 
Then he held up his right arm, and from that hour he was named, he named himself Camlost, the Empty-Handed. Then Thingol's mood was softened, and Beren sat before his throne upon the left, and Luthien upon the right, and they told all of that tale of the quest, while all there listened and were filled with amazement. Men, oh, excuse me, and were filled with amazement, and it seemed to Thingol that this man was unlike other mortal men. And among the great deeds of Arda and the love of Luthien, a, a thing new and strange, and he perceived that their doom might not be withstood by the power of the world. Therefore, at the last, he yielded his will, and Beren took the hand of Luthien before the throne of her father. But now a shadow fell upon the joy of Doriath at the return of Luthien the Fair. For learning of the cause of the madness of Karkaroth, the people grew more afraid, perceiving that his danger was fraught with dreadful power because of the holy jewel, and hardly might be overthrown. And Beren, hearing of the onslaught of the wolf, understood that the quest was not yet fulfilled. Therefore, since daily Karkaroth drew nearer to Menagroth, they prepared the hunting of the wolf, of all pursuits of beasts, wherefore tales tell the most perilous. At the chase, to that chase went Huon the Hound of Valinor, and Mablung the Heavy-Handed, and Beleg Strongbow, and Beren, and Thingol, King of Doriath. They rode forth in the morning, and passed over the river as Galduin, but Luthien remained behind at the gates of Menegroth. A dark shadow fell upon her, and it seemed to her that the sun had sickened and turned black. The hunters turned east and north, following the course of the river they came at last, upon Karkaroth the wolf, in the dark valley, down the northern side of where, whereof as Galduin fell in a torrent over steep falls. At the foot of the falls, Karkaroth drank to ease his consuming thirst, and he howled. Thus they were aware of him. But he espied their approach, Rushed, rushed not suddenly to attack him. Oh, excuse me. But he, espying their approach, rushed not suddenly to attack him. It may be that the devil's cunning of his heart awoke, being for a moment eased of the pain by the sweet waters of the Asgalduin. Asgalduin is a river, by the way. And even as they rode toward him, he slunk aside into a deep break, and there lay hid. But they set a guard about all that place, and waited, and the shadows grew long in that forest. Beren stood beside Thingol, and suddenly they were aware of they were aware that Huon had left their side. Then a great baying awoke in the thicket, for Huon, becoming impatient and desiring to look upon this wolf, had gone alone to dislodge him. But Karkaroth avoided him and bursting from the thorns, leapt suddenly upon Thingol. Swiftly, Beren strode before him with a spear, but Karkaroth swept it aside and felled him, biting at his breast. In that moment, Huon leapt from the thicket upon the back of the wolf, and they fell together, fighting bitterly, and no battle of wolf and hound has been like to it. 
For in the baying of Huon was heard the voice of the horns of Orome the Valar, and the wrath of all the Valar. But in the howls of Karkaroth was the hate of Morgoth, and the malice crueler than teeth of steel, and the rocks were rent by their clamor, and fell from on high, and choked the falls of the Asgalduin. There they fought to the death. But Thingol gave no heed, for he melt by Baron, seeing that he was sorely hurt. Huon, in that hour, slew Kargaroth. But there, in the woven woods of Doriath, his own doom, long spoken, was fulfilled, and he was wounded mortally, and the venom of Morgoth entered into him. Then he came and, falling beside Beren, spoke for the third time with words. And he bade Beren farewell before he died. Beren spoke not, but laid his hand upon the head of the hound, and so they parted. Mablung and Beleg came hastening to the king's aid. But when they looked upon what was done, they cast aside their spears and wept. Then Mablung took a knife and ripped open the belly of the wolf, and within he was well nigh all consumed with fire, but the hand of Beren that held the jewel was yet uncorrupted. But when Mablung reached forth to touch it, the hand was no more, and the Silmaril lay there, unveiled, and the light of it filled the shadow of the forest all about them. Then quickly, and in fear, Mablung took it and set it in Beren's living hand, and Beren was aroused by the touch of the Silmaril and held it aloft, and bade Thingol receive it. Now is the quest achieved, he said, and my doom full wrought. And he spoke no more. They bore back Beren Camlost, son of Barahir, upon a briar of branches, with Huon the wolfhound at his side. And night fell ere they returned to Menegroth. At the feet of Hirilorn, the, the great beech, Luthien met them walking slow, and some bore torches beside the bier. Then she set her arms about Beren, and kissed him, bidding him await her beyond the western seas. And he looked upon her ere the spirit left him. But the starlight was quenched, and darkness had fallen, even upon Luthien Tenuviel. Thus ended the quest of the Silmaril. But the Lay of Lathian, release from bondage, does not end. For the spirit of Beren, at her bidding, tarried in the halls of Mandos, unwilling to leave the world, until Luthien came to say her last farewell upon the dim shores of the outer sea, whence men that die set out never to return. But the spirit of Luthien fell down into darkness, and at the last it fled, and her body lay like a flower, that is suddenly cut off and lies for a while 
unwithered on the grass. Then a winter, as it were the hoar age of mortal men, fell upon Thingol. But Luthien came to the halls of Mandos, where are the appointed places for the elves beyond the mansions of the west upon the confines of the world. There those that wait sit in the shadows of their thought, but her beauty was more than their beauty, and her sorrow was deeper than their sorrow. And she knelt before Mandos and sang to him. The song of Luthien before Mandos was the song most fair that ever in words was woven, and the song most sorrowful that ever the world shall hear. Unchanging, imperishable, it sang still in Valinor, beyond the hearing of the world. And listening, the Valar are grieved, for Luthien wove two themes of words, of the sorrow of the Eldar and the grief of men of the two kindreds that were made by Iluvatar to dwell in Arda, the kingdom of earth, amid the innumerable stars. And as she knelt before him, her tears fell upon his feet like rain upon the stones. And Mandos was moved to pity, who never was before so moved, nor has been moved since. Therefore he summoned Beren, even as Luthien had spoken in the hour of his death, they met again beyond the western seas. But Mandos had no power to withhold the spirits of men that were dead within the confines of the world after their time of waiting, nor could he change the fate of the children of Iluvatar. He went therefore to Manwe, lord of the Valar, who governed the world under the hands of Iluvatar. And Manwe sought counsel with his innermost thought, where the will of Iluvatar is revealed. These were the choices that he gave to Luthien. Because of her labor and her sorrow, she should be released from Mandos and go to Valinor, there to dwell until the world's end among the Valar, forgetting all grief that her life had known. Thither Beren could not come, for it was not permitted to the Valar to withhold death from him, which is the gift of Iluvatar. But the other choice was this, that she might return to Middle-earth and take with her Beren, there to dwell again, but without certitude of joy or life. Then she would become mortal, the subject to a second death, even as he. And ere long, she would leave the world forever, and her beauty become only a memory and song. This doom she chose. Forsaking the blessed realm, putting aside all claim to kinship with those that dwelt there, that thus whatever grief might lie in wait, the fates of Baron and Luthien might be joined, and their paths together beyond the confines of the world. 
so it was, that alone of the elves she has died indeed, and left the world long ago. Yet in her choice the two kindreds have ever been joined, and she is the forerunner of many in whom the Eldar see yet. Though all the world is changed, the likeness of Luthien the Beloved, whom they have lost. It is said that Baron and Luthien returned to the northern lands of Middle-earth and dwelt together for a time as living man and woman, and they took up again their mortal form in Doriath. Those that saw them were both glad and fearful, and Luthien went to Menegroth and healed the winter of Thingol with the touch of her hand. But Melian looked into her eyes and read the doom that was written there, and turned away, for she knew that a parting beyond the end of the world had come between them, and no grief of loss has been heavier than the grief of Melian the Maya in that hour. Then Baron and Luthien went forth alone, fearing neither thirst nor hunger, and they passed beyond the river Gelion into Osiriand, and dwelt there in Tol Galen, the green isle, in the midst of Adurant, until all tidings of them ceased. The Eldar afterwards called that country Dor Fin Igunar, the land of the dead that live. And there was born Dior Aranel the Beautiful, who was after known as Dior Elukil, which is Thingol's heir. No mortal man spoke ever again with Baron, son of Barahir, and none saw Baron or Luthien leave the world, or marked where at last their bodies lay. Thus ends the tale of Baron and Luthien. Thank you all for being here. I am going to wrap up this YouTube video. Thank you all so much for joining me um, on YouTube. I know this was a lot longer, but I could not do this in multiple sittings. This deserves its own. Thanks, YouTube.